was muted. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pixelist <laughs> Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will. That's Blake. And today we're here to talk about some critical role. But Ooh. first, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing good. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm it's I was about to say I'm having my coffee, which I am, but it's a little bit later in the day. But this is my first cup. I was trying to go without it, but I, I caved and uh you were you're a late afternoon coffee drinker huh yeah i mean not typically not typically playing but with, playing with fire my friend i know but you know it's monday i needed that kind of extra oomph after all so i've got That's my cool. bean juice now and so i'm feeling i'm feeling better <laughs> i'm afraid you didn't call it that <laughs> i had three cups yesterday which oh. i'm usually a one cup kind of guy yeah but uh i was feeling pretty bad <laughs> Well, this is why people tune in is to hear our our coffee yeah, drama, right? Coffee time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Are yeah. you a uh, well, sorry, I got to no, I got to no. finish this <laughs> storyline. Yeah. Are you a um local coffee brew kind of guy or are you more of like a Walmart, you know, grab some and go? I mean, for budgetary reasons, I'm definitely more of the Walmart, you know, it's cheaper that way, but I definitely enjoy a nice like a splurge of like a nice local coffee. Yeah. Uh, but day to day, it's typically just, you know, you get the big tin can that you scoop yeah. out of. Yeah. I gotcha. It's probably a dollar total. <laughs> what about you? Are you uh, only local baby? Oh man. Fancy. There's few things to splurge on in life and coffee must be one of them. That's true. We're actually looking, <laughs> this is the coffee podcast. Now <laughs> we're actually looking into like a fancier, coffee machine um yeah so we have one we never went back like really? we love it oh, you'll yeah. have to it's what, you'll have to we probably shouldn't us, get into it now but yeah, you'll, yeah, we'll okay. have to talk about this later <laughs> yeah okay well uh everything you guys came here for has nothing to do with with coffee <laughs> but all about the mighty nine reunion the part two episode which we're going to be talking about today so that's right uh, I'm excited to talk about it. How about you? <laughs> Me too. And for those of you that tuned in for um, our part one, you know that we had our special guest, Ken, from Cyan Bella joining us. He will be joining us for this part as well. Uh, but before we bring in him, we're going to do our typical yeah. announcements. And he's in the our, green room yeah. waiting. Yeah. Yeah. He's got hors d'oeuvres. He's got a martini. Yeah. <laughs> he's just uh, getting all pampered until he comes on. Yeah. Um, we take care of our guests. That's, that's right. all we'll say. That's yeah. right. So Matt, you know, if you ever want to come on. You know, yeah, we, uh, we'll treat you right, <laughs> Matt from high school. If you ever want to join us, oh, not that man. I gotcha. <laughs> I mean, if he wants to, he can come too. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah. So before we get into our typical discussion, you know, we want to run through our announcements and, of course, our recap really quick. Um, Blake, stop me or add on if there's any announcements that you can think of. But the only really thing I had is Blake and I were talking, and at some point this month, details to be determined. We were thinking about um, hosting a little watch along of uh, Critical Role's Night Before Christmas one shot just to kind of get in the spirit of the holidays and the vibe. Maybe on one of Critical Role's off weeks this month. Um, I'm not sure when that falls or when they're breaking mm -hmm. for uh, the holidays. I'm sure that information's out there, but not looking at it right now. So anyway, if that interests you, just stay tuned. I'm sure once we have more details, we will tell you all. Um, but also a good place to to hang out if you're interested in that type of info is uh, our Discord, which we hardly plug, but uh, we'll link that in the description box, I'm sure. So if that interests you, just stay tuned, check out the Discord, or 
you know, maybe you'll get a letter from us or something. Um, I don't know what that was, but I feel like I needed a third thing to tack on there. So, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> great. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> but other than that, uh, we're returning to campaign three this week. So be on the lookout for our, you know, typical critical role content coming soon. Uh, but other than that, you have anything else? Pretty much it. I think we're ready to rock. So, all right. Yeah. So, if you are new to us, we take this recap that we do and we cut it out and host it separately on YouTube for your viewing convenience. So, if you happen to find yourself on just that recap and you're interested in our discussion of the actual episode, we will link that down below in the uh, description box. But without further ado, uh, I just realized I don't know the name of the episode and it actually is out by now. Oh. <laughs> do you by chance know i do know it is called uh don't know sorry <laughs> vamping vamping yeah i don't know i just was calling it mighty nine reunited part two you know what that's what we're gonna go with it's probably an actual name for it so yeah so this is um the recap of the mighty nine reunited part two and i'll actually be picking up the first half here so yeah, um, we pick up right where we left off last week, or not last week, a couple weeks ago, um, with the Storm Giant, this Mage of Ukatoa, and these Scions of Ukatoa making their way through the jungle, basically emerging just as the Mighty Nine has come across this, um, the ruins of this temple. Uh, initiative is immediately rolled as the session starts, and the Mighty Nine are kind of hiding in the bushes, unsure if they've been seen yet. Um, and as always, for the sake of brevity, I'm just going to kind of go through this uh, long combat, hitting the highlights, um, which uh, we start off basically with Veth casting Hypnotic Pattern, and she is able to successfully uh, stun, uh, for lack of a better word, all of the enemies except for the Giant, the Mage, and I think just one or two of the Scions, all the rest of them succumb to it. Uh, the giant, since it's not affected, continues to just kind of stampede through the jungle and run straight towards the ruins of this temple and slams down, basically sundering like a large portion of this temple and creating this deep pit in the earth where it stood. Um, Jester basically follows that up, casting Earthquake on another large portion of the temple and just like the entire map really in general, um, causing everything to become difficult terrain and more of the temple to like kind of crumble and crash. Um, this earthquake spell causes Yasha and the giant to fall prone with the latter actually falling on top of the former. Um, while that's happening, the mage tries to cast fly on themselves and fly down into the pit that the giant just created. Uh, but fortunately, Ford is there and he's able to cast counterspell. So the mage is kind of annoyed at this point and just jumps down into the pit um, <laughs> just free falls basically yeah um then combat ensues a lot of the mighty nine are striking at this prone giant including a nasty disintegrate from caleb um but bow dives down after the mage and a veth i think after taking a quick you know couple bow strikes at the prone giant decides to go down with her and help her out ford casts fly on himself and flies down there as well and down inside the pit there are like these pillars and uh, sun sigils, which, you know, they had been warned about in the journal in the episode previous to avoid those and lots of just snake iconography. And they've noticed there's numerous holes in the wall as well that uh, snakes uh, ultimately begin to pour out of a bit later in this uh, encounter. 
Meanwhile, back up top, though, the giant regains its composure, gets back to its feet, and slams the ground once again. Um, this causes basically the pit to widen, more destruction to happen, and everyone inside uh, the pit already, and including Caleb and the giant, who are still a little bit higher elevated, all fall down and fall even further than the people in the pit already were down to this new level and a whole new map. Um, the giant and mage fall prone on this new level uh, before it is able to be okay because he was flying. Uh, Caleb, Bo, and Veth are also all okay between slow fall and feather fall. It's at this point that the mage attempts to dimension door, but is counterspelled once again by Ford. And <clears throat> back up top, uh, Jester and Kingsley actually dimension door ultimately down to join everyone else. And more combat ensues. All the Mighty Nine are unleashing attacks on the mage, the giant, and the scions. Um, and ford is demanding the return of the cloven crystal but he doesn't see it uh yasha then actually gets the how do you want to do this on the mage and decapitates them and at this point the giant has been dealt with and all the remaining scions have now jumped down this deep pit so they're like taking massive damage and their legs are breaking when they come down here but all the remaining ones have gathered and they're not attacking the mighty nine instead they are all frantically searching and one of the scions, we're told, on a natural 20, actually finds the cloven crystal and slams it down into this uh, this hole in the floor with the other ones like encircling it, protecting it. As it does this, they all begin to laugh. And the walls of this chamber, which are you know intricately carved with uh, iconography of the sea and snakes, like I said, and a cloaked serpent, like images of the calamity, and all of these runes... Um, they all light up and then shatter and crack. And the scions continue laughing as this happens. And the Mighty Nine just kind of pick them off one by one with like, they're not even fighting back at this point. And as that all happens, Ford feels this like cold, dark sensation kind of run through him. And he knows like in his heart that Ukutoa has been released. Then all of a sudden in this chamber, they can feel this um, sourceless yet omnipresent like anger that's like surrounding them and a nearby statue with three heads um, presumably of Zahir the cloaked serpent uh, its eyes begin to glow and Ford's like uh, let's get out of here so he attempts to cast arcane gate to get the party out of here but is prevented from doing so by Zahir himself uh, Zahir wants answers and so Ford approaches the statue and as he does the jaw of the statue like cracks open and begins to speak uh, it says traitorous failure false god foolish pretender it will not escape punishment then Zahir notices that like uh, Ford has the mark of Vukatoa due to his previous pact with him and is like you know you did this uh, but the party's like no, no 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 we were actually here to stop him from being released uh, and you know what? You need somebody to take care of it now that he is released. So like we're on the same team here. And Zahir's like, well, <clears throat> if that's true, then one of you is going to have to make a pact with me so that I know you're telling the truth and that I can keep an eye on you. Um, so the party's like, ah, okay. And he's like, this pact is necessary also because you will need it to return Ukutoa to its prison. And the party briefly discusses like uh, who should take this on, but Ford ultimately right. steps up. Um, and it's like, you know, this we're here because of me, like I should be the one to do this. And so Ford steps up to the statue and is like, I will make the pact. Um, as he does, the three heads of the statue kind of like turn and face him. 
and he all of a sudden on his chest feels like this cold sensation and then like a hot searing pain as he gets like this emblem on his sternum uh and then he hears a voice that says choose do you embrace the shadow or do you climb the peak of the mountain and ford chooses to climb when he does that the heads of the statue fall off uh revealing the hilt of a blade embedded within this statue and he is told to take the fang of the spire king Ford like marvels and Travis really marvels at this blade because of course Matt hands him the stats but he ultimately gives it to Kingsley as he thinks it would be better suited in his hands plus Ford has the star razor um with that done uh due to Ford's connection with Ukatoa uh he can feel that Ukatoa is just like I said out released and is somewhere south in the Lucidian Ocean so what's next? Um, they're like, all right, we need to get out of here and we need to get a boat and go deal with this thing. So they briefly debate on exactly what the plan should be, uh, which includes Jester sending a message to the Plank King and getting threatened to never message him again or else he will cut his throat. <laughs> um, but ultimately they're like, okay, Caleb can teleport us out of here and we'll go to Nicodronus and get a boat and boom. So they do exactly that. He teleports them. And once they arrive in Nicodronus, they can already see like this eerie black mass of clouds out on the ocean and um, like massive storm. Um, and they're already hearing uh, swirling rumors of uh, like prophets who are seeing uh, visions of many yellow eyes and coastal cities destroyed by water and fire. Um, they're told the Concord Navy is already like being gathered to be sent to investigate and uh, boats are being mobilized to go investigate this. The party's like, okay. First things first, we need to get a ship um, and then, you know, rest probably and make moves. Um, so they're going down to the port and ultimately there's two ships for them to choose from uh, the, the Drinsala Vis and the Ever Onward. They choose the former because it means luck of the mother in Marquesian. And they think that's a good sign because of Ford's connection with the Wild Mother. Um, so they approach the ship and its captain, Captain Adela. They actually have met before um, briefly in campaign two fill her in on everything that's going on um and with a persuasion role of i believe 25 basically get her to say she's in they can use uh you know her crew and her ship um ford's like okay we just need to do some final things but like we can head out um so caleb while this is happening flies over to yusa's tower and asks yusa is there anything you can do to like help us prepare for this undertaking and um yusa gives caleb a basically a satchel of potions uh He's coming back. He stops by the lavish chateau and I think picks up a charcuterie board for dinner for everyone. Um, gets back to the ship. They they realize that they can just rest on the ship and take off immediately. Um, so that's what they do. Um, before retiring for the night, though, Jester does send a quick couple of messages to her mother and to Yeza, warning them of what's to come and you know helping them prepare accordingly. Um, and we get one other moment with Kingsley, uh, making his way to Bo and Yasha's room for a quick chat. Uh, he just wanted to know a little bit more about Molly and, uh, what their impressions of Molly were because Kingsley wants to embody the balance of nature and nurture better than both Molly and Lucian did. So he wants to know where they went wrong. Um, he wants to make his own mistakes, but he wants to be better than they were. Um, and, you know, Bo and Yasha kind of give him some advice and tell him that, you know, just try to tread the line safer than they did. But, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Uh, really great moment. Um, so everyone then goes to bed. And when they wake up, 
They can see this storm quickly approaching, rains pouring down uh, in the distance. They can see other ships and hear cannon fire. And Ford sees something long, dark, and familiar. And basically, that's where we go to break. Yeah, great job, man. Yeah, so coming out of the break, this back half episode is almost six hours long. Yeah. So quite a bit's happening this episode. And in this back half of the episode, uh, the party's basically approaching the storm where there's already, you know, the battering of cannon fire. There's ships that either were caught in the storm or were brave enough to go into the storm to face whatever was inside of it. And like Will mentioned, um, as they are approaching the storm, they are seeing flashes of chaos that's happening um, in the darkness of the storm. One thing that does happen as they are going into the storm, you know, everyone's kind of uh, getting themselves ready for the combat to come. And Matt, even it's a very RPG moment of kind of like, are you, is the party ready to move forward now? Yeah. Um, one interesting thing is gesture. Uh, burns a fifth level spell slot to cast control weather and has a contested role against Ukatoa, um, the demigod, as to who's <laughs> going to control the weather. Um, she succeeds and gets is able to affect it for about half an hour. Uh, whereas Jester jokes, you know, we've beaten Ukatoa, we've won. <laughs> um, all that to say, the party um, moves into um, uh, into the storm, and Matt reveals the final battle map for the this two shot, and it's actually the table they're on. I think he like picks something up or removes something, and you realize it's this awesome LCD like glowing stormy table um, that the party's on. Um, so combat's going to begin. There's a couple of things, you know, there's so many things that are going to be happening in this combat. So I'll just I'll highlight the important stuff um, for the sake of time. Um, first things first, Ukato is represented on the battle map as this serpent that has different, different body parts that are uh, on the battle map, but they're all part of Ukatoa. Um, so he's in the water. Uh, he also has a lair action because it's the ocean, um, which is where is that is his lair. Right. And there's two main lair actions that you're going to see in the combat. One is called battering winds, um, which basically creates tough terrain for uh, everyone affected by it. And then the second one is the one that actually combat opens with. Uh, it is a large... Um, tidal wave and in fact as combat begins uh this tidal wave happens it knocks i think almost everyone except for yasha they had to do a strength saving throw it knocks them prone and they all take 45 points of damage so yeah. right off the bat it was like oh and the roll yeah. was actually fairly high as well um uh jester has to do a concentration check for her um in fact everyone who had concentrations going uh, like immediately lose it basically yeah. uh, and uh, laura bailey's like yeah i'm really glad i burned that spell slot to immediately lose it so but matt does tell her that hey you did affect the storm a little bit and it will affects affect some of the lair actions so uh, all that to say, you have the lair action. Um, Ukato is going to be having legendary actions after each person's turn. Uh, and in terms of combat, essentially what happens is we have Caleb who's going to fly up into the air and cast Shapeshift and turn into this large dragon uh, so cool. who 
is freaking amazing for the entirety of this combat. Uh, he'll be doing that. Bo, the freaking amazing person that she is, is going to launch off the ship onto the head of Ukatoa and is going to spend a few rounds just beating and smattering on Ukatoa's head. Um, even at one point, taking a full blast from Caleb the dragon, who's you know breathing this, this spectral blast down on Ukatoa. Um, Ford is going to cast fly and is going to be casting, uh, spells like cone of cold to try to hit multiple parts of Ukatoa. And then, um, consequently is also going to eventually freeze the ocean to create tough terrain for Ukatoa to not be able to move freely through. Um, Veth is going to be this rogue sniper on the ship. And in fact, Veth is probably the first one who scores a natural 20 in this combat where Matt actually asks them whenever they're attacking, are you attacking the eye or are you attacking the body of Ukatoa? The trade-off here, which Matt reveals around round two, maybe around three, is when the body of Ukatoa is attacked, which has a lower armor class, uh, it builds up fury this resource that Ukatoa has. And when he has too much fury, he unleashes these lightning bolt attacks across the battlefield, which he does, I think, again, around two or three, round two or three. Um, but if you attack the eye of Ukatoa, uh, it will reduce fury, but it's a much harder um, attack to hit because it has a higher, higher armor class. But Veth uh, targets the eye, gets a natural 20, and with... It, his vault or her voltaxic bolt um, opens up combat in the first round with like this. Um, I think I think actually Beth was towards the end of the round, but hits for around eighty points of damage, uh, which is just crazy. Yeah, um, Bo is going to get totally rocked literally being on top of um, Ukatoa's head. But one thing that's really cool is that Gesture is going to cast Duplicity and summon four copies of herself that kind of spread around the arena. And um, for those of you guys who watch Campaign 3, Matt didn't have copies of Jester, so we actually pulled out copies of Adahan Thule <laughs> from the third campaign uh, to use as the duplicates. Um, Adahan is Jester, yeah. confirmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, there's other cool flavor things that happen. Um, Ford uses Hexblade's Curse because he's a warlock. And uh, Ukuto is like, oh, you're going to use your power against me. And actually begins ending each round, basically trying to cast Charm Person on uh, Ford um, to basically force him to be his servant once again. He fails in round two. In round three, Ukuto is successful and actually causes Ford to go over to Jester. Uh, and there's kind of this funny moment where Jester's like, playing dumb is like, oh, hi, Ford. Or Laura Bailey's playing dumb. Um, like, hey, Ford, what's up? And then Ford just, whoosh, you know, <laughs> slashes through her. Uh, not fatal damage, but definitely, like, hits her fairly hard. Um, all this to say, the party's looking pretty rough, and Ukuto was seemingly still pretty resilient uh, until um, Jester, who's at the very bottom of the round, uh, using her... her um, her duplicates, uh, she casts Mass Heal, which heals 700 points of damage. 
pretty much brings everyone to full life except for like herself and maybe one other um and the party i never watched campaign two but people were joking like you did more healing than you did the entire the entirety of campaign yeah. two um and i think liam was like we stand our blue horned queen <laughs> <laughs> so brings everyone back up to full life and it's at this moment that it's like ugato is screwed like They've already been like ripping this dude to shreds and um, they've just gotten healed back to full life. Um, there are some other things that do happen though. Bo gets attacked by Ukotoa and then is swallowed by Ukotoa. And on her next turn, she uses, um, and I did know the item, Cape of the Mount back, Mounty back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's an item Something she like has that. that gives her a single cast of Dimension Door. Uh, so she dimension doors out of the stomach Vukatoa and onto the ship, which is pretty cool. Um, Caleb is going to fly down and pretty much grab Ukatoa by the head and breathe this big cone, another big spectral blast into him, which was pretty awesome. Uh, and then Yasha is basically wants to grab the tail of Ukatoa to prevent him from escaping uh, and also ends up recklessly attacking Ukatoa as well. Uh, and it actually gets her the, how do you want to do this? Uh, and you get this really cool moment where everyone kind of pitches in for like this kind of team, <laughs> team, how do you want to do this moment? Yeah. Um, you know, there's like an arcane gate gets, that gets opened up that vest, uh, Veth's like swinging through to attack with and all this to say, um, uh, Ford gets this awesome, like final moment where, um, Caleb turns into like a dragon turtle and, um, uh, with the final blow, uh, Ukatoa begins to sink to the bottom of the ocean and Caleb helps Ford basically swim down after Ukatoa, um, and then resting at the base of the ocean, Ukatoa is slowly healing slowly returning and regenerating to his he's a demigod and so is um coming back to life so to speak and uh ford reaches out and basically calls on zahir uh and basically says i i curse him i condemn him back to the depths um and as this happens the um uh, uh, his tattooed sigil signifying the pact that he has with Zahir begins to burn and Ukatoa's body dissipates, leaving behind three floating cloven crystals, uh, which Matt implies um, the cycle has begun again. So, victorious, uh, Ford swims out of the water back onto the boat and you're, he still senses Zahir's... Um, presence and then these vines and this the the sun from the clouds that are, that are that's parting shines down on him and that mark that tattoo uh dissipates and fades away um seemingly implying that the wild mother has removed the um curse of zahir that pact with zahir uh that was my take on it we can talk about it in the recap um all that to say we get a um nice little epilogue from the characters uh ford mentions that of the three cloven crystals one goes to vokoto's lair uh, on Rumblecusp, one he gives to the Cobalt Soul to protect it, and the third one he decides not to keep himself, but he keeps the location hidden uh, for no one to know. Um, 
Bo puts the cloven crystal into deep into the vault of the cobalt soul and kind of envision it as like a very Indiana Jones-esque, you know, <laughs> deep into the archives. Yeah. Um, gets a foot rub from Yasha and they continue to live their beautiful life. Um, Yasha keeps learning from their neighbor, uh, Martina Stewart. Um, Vets camp is a wild success, even though one he does mention one student does die. Uh, but fortunately, they're able to bring the student um, back to life. Um, Kingsley, uh, who had cut a piece of, of hide off Ukatoa, fashions it into something nice and uh, continues to meet with Caduceus and... Um, uh, continues it's almost like sort of like exploring like who he was and finding who he is at this point um kingsley also continues to work at stone's throw shipping uh, until eventually which that venture does happen i guess and uh, uh eventually steals a ship and the mighty nine gets letters informing them that they're no longer banished from dark toe uh, cour courtesy of the new plank king king kingsley no idea what any of that means, but <laughs> um, other than that, uh, Bo and Yasha talk about adopting kids, rebranding the orphan maker as the orphan taker. Um, and uh, also Caleb does go back to Rexentrum and eventually does take a job at the Soltress Academy um, and also continues to give workshops at Vets Camp. So uh, as the show is ending, uh, back at Caleb's place, uh, there's a knock on a door, and it's Essek, who basically is like, hey, I've heard you had a crazy story to talk about. Um, they share a short kiss. He enters the, the small abode, and that is where the Mighty Nine reunion part two comes to an end. Heard you had a crazy story to tell. <laughs> uh, great job, man. Uh, sorry, yeah. that was a little inside joke. Um, it's never easy to recap six hours of no. <laughs> tabletop RPG. No, we but, do our best. Yeah. <sighs> so having said that, I think we're gonna we're gonna bring Ken in from the green room and we may be in different shirts when you see it. You know, maybe, maybe. But not. don't worry about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we'll see you guys shortly. We're going to be talking about what we thought about the episode. We want to know what you thought about the episode. So if you're watching just the recap, click the link in the in the description to feel, see our full breakdown. Uh, and we'll be with you guys shortly. Yep. See you guys in just a second. And we're back. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> uh Please welcome back our guest, Ken, from Cy and Bella over on YouTube. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us to wrap up this uh, special miniseries, man. It's my pleasure. I had a lot of fun in the first one, and I'm sure we're going to enjoy this one, too. Me, too. I've been looking forward to this for, uh, I guess, two weeks since we had the uh, off week between it, them. It feels like forever, but yeah, two yeah. weeks. Really does I'll feel say, like a long time. Yeah, and Ken, I'll say you're much better than the other guests we've brought on. Who listen? Hear me? <laughs> who, who we hate? We've decided. So well, I don't like this, di this we, dichotomy you've created. Here. But we love you. So <laughs> we've had the literal high and the literal low on the channel at this Tell point. Jeremy, he's fired. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy will remember this. Well, gentlemen, we had. Uh, so we've already done the recap. Uh, which, if you guys are watching now, you're probably like, interesting. You're in different clothes, but you know. 
little uh, little magic for you, a little <laughs> prestidigitation that you know changed some things up. That's right. You guys probably like that's not how that works, but it didn't matter. Um, so we're talking about the second half of the uh, Mighty Nine reunited, the part two, and also I guess we can do a little bit of a, a review on the whole uh, two part. Um, gentlemen, what did you guys think of of part two? Can you take us away first here? All right. Um, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. There was a, a ton of fan service. Like they knew yeah. what everybody needed to hear. Um, <laughs> all, all of the uh, like prologue wrap up, all of that stuff was pure, pure, like the fans have been dying to know what's happening. And obviously they delivered exactly what the fans wanted to hear. Right. Um, and there were a couple surprises in there as well. Um, not, not everything was predictable really. Um, I, I was talking with a couple of the folks in the theater about how I was like, there's no way Ukato is showing up in this episode. They can't possibly <laughs> retcon. And then I was like, well, to be fair very briefly showed up at least so Mm -hmm. who knows who actually was aware of it i guess since there was never like an attack on nicodranas or anything yeah that that's one thing i want to talk about so let's not forget that for a bit later um but yeah i i loved it as well um you know I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this, Blake, because obviously for Ken and I and everyone else that watch campaign two, it's just so good to return to these characters, you know, yeah. um, it's, you know, I, I don't know if nostalgia is the right word. Cause it doesn't feel like old enough to invoke nostalgia, but I guess similar. Yeah. yeah it's, you know, that's, that's a good word that, yeah. that works for me. So, yeah. you know, it's just great to see them again. Uh, the the whole arc of dealing with Ukatoa was kind of like this big question mark that was never dealt with in campaign two. So it's kind of nice to have that that chapter closed now, as opposed to being like, you know, that that's still out there. Um so for those reasons I really liked it. Um I don't think it was like top five critical role episodes ever or anything like that, but I did have a great time with it. Now, what were your thoughts, my good man, for having <laughs> uh, you know, not seen campaign two? Yeah, I'm wondering um, if it, like the 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 stakes, if you will, like was that really there for you, or is it? No, you know? no, not really. So here, let me give like a little bit of like a more long winded like disclaimer. I think if I'm a person at that table, I've had I will have had an awesome time of that two shot. I mean, playing D and D they're all having an awesome time. And I think it is important to like make that distinction because I think sometimes people are like overly critical of critical role when it's like, at the end of the day, it's people playing D and D and having a good time. So I think in, I think in that regard, it was awesome. It's, it's just great for people to have an opportunity to play together and also just high level combat is all always really fun as well when it's not just like Eldritch Blast again, you know, there's like actually options. <laughs> yeah. um, well, like I a, used my two spell slots, so I yeah. guess I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I auto attack again. Um, from like a pure entertainment standpoint, I was pretty bored <laughs> in the sense of i i enjoyed the dnd aspect of it but i didn't really feel like the stakes were there i was also like learning 
learning the stakes as they were happening. I was like, so who's Ukatoa? What's happening mm-hmm. here? And, um, you know, the comments on Ukatoa being this demigod, I didn't feel like the combat was very demigod-esque. Like, I never really saw Ukatoa do anything. There was the tidal wave, you know, but I never really saw Ukatoa do anything that to me communicated, wow, this is a demigod. Like, they are up against a, you know, insane foe who my perception is that this this character has been mentioned and brought up several times in the campaign. So to finally fight it, uh, seemed pretty, pretty massive. Um, other than that, there were also some like tiny things that felt a little railroady, which you have to in a two shot, but, um, things that felt a little bit, I kind of took the air out a little bit for me. The two examples that come to mind are when the mage casts fly to go down into the, the, um, temple and travis counterspells it mm-hmm. and then he just jumps down anyway um and then the second one being when they decapitated the mage and then the minions jump down they find the crystal and then they slam it in um all of the those two things especially felt like it didn't really matter what you do this is what was going to happen anyway which mm-hmm. that's totally personal opinion i don't really have like an insight there on if that's a good a good habit or not um and then the last thing i'll say um is I think I am just so spoiled having watched Calamity and like the emotional depth of, and that was a four-parter. So, I mean, you have all the more time to build those characters out, but I I don't know why I was wanting to be in tears again <laughs> by the end of this two-parter. Yeah. Um, so the fact that it never really found like an emotional weight to it, um, I walked away feeling like, yeah, that, I enjoyed it for what it was, but if I, it, like you said, I wouldn't put it like in the top five, and I, I probably wouldn't watch it again. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's too harsh. I don't know. I I think all those criticisms are fair, except I'd push back a little bit on the calamity comparison, just because I don't really think that's fair because it didn't have that weight for you because you didn't watch campaign two. You know, like you're True. not like the expected viewer to come in. They didn't have to like build those characters up for like fresh eyes, you know, and like, I, we yeah, have and all I was, the history with them. And I was thinking if I was, you know, three years from now to go watch a two parter campaign three, I would probably adore it no matter what, you know, cause that's like yeah. my first. Right. Um, so I think that's very fair, but yeah, I yeah, mean, I, go ahead, Ken. Yeah. Um, one, I fully agree with you on the the two railroading points that you raised i uh i had a chatty seatmate at the theater which was cool i enjoyed it uh <laughs> shout out to joe in his sprinkle onesie <laughs> like uh, that was yeah he was good it was good chatting with him but uh it, it was like definitely he was doing matt was doing absolutely everything he possibly could to get to the outcome he needed right like right it was it was a little heavy-handed and it was clear right mm-hmm. that that's what was happening but you know you have to like you said there's some amount of railroading you have to have to get to where you're going right right so um yeah uh and two i believe that the lack of familiarity definitely contributed to your feelings right Right. because i felt the weight of this because 
Ukato was a major player throughout the campaign. There were so many things where his minions and other devotees, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of interaction with him. Um, with Laura's dreams in campaign three, Ford had a similar arc. Yeah, with Ukatoa style dreams, and they were terrifying. Right. And so much of this was built up over the entire campaign that, of course, you're not going to feel that because you didn't experience all of that. So I, th I really do think that for people who had that familiarity, the, the stakes were there a little bit. Well, I've seen some comments on uh, while this plot thread seems resolved, there's still other things that they could potentially do another like follow up, like one shot or two shots. Um, you guys having seen campaign two, do you guys feel similarly? Do you feel like you're comfortable with the mighty nine, that story being put to bed for good? Or are there other storylines that you'd love to see? Thank you, Blake or Will. Sorry. Um, I think they'll, especially with the way the cast was talking at the end of the episode, being like, we're not like, we want to do this again. Um, I definitely think that we'll see something else. Uh, maybe it's a year from now, you know, who knows? But um, I think, and Ken, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, I want to say there were three post campaign one one shots that were still with the campaign one characters. There was Search for Grog, Bob, and Dalen's Closet. Those are the three I can remember. Yeah. The, um, the wedding yeah yeah the wedding episode was definitely a, a killer yeah that that one was amazing uh so i think they'll return and i think there's a few options that i can even think of off the top of my head that would make sense for them to like come back and do plus they could just literally do anything because you know it's D D. so um and but, they definitely set up some in-game like excuses. Yeah, during during those prologue things, they were setting up more and more things for them to continue to be working on. So, I think there's a very strong possibility. I mean, it's certainly possible whether they will do it or not. Probably depends on a lot of out-of-game factors. Yeah, but they've set it up so they can. Right. If. If this was the last time we ever saw the Mighty Nine, though, then, I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. Like, you know, everyone got a pretty nice little second epilogue, I guess, if you will, because there was an epilogue at the end of campaign two. Um, so I, while I think there will be more from them, but I would be oh, like I can live with this being the end if it is. Agreed. Well, it's it, it, it's it, it's always like fun to go back and see characters you've fallen in love with and i know i'll be grieving whenever campaign three ends which is yeah hopefully a long time from now um let's dig into the actual the meaty stuff that happened in episode two um because we had we had the combat at the start with the temple that i thought was the temple of the of, of the wild mother actually wasn't it was the temple to zahir one of the betrayer gods so we had that um, and then we had the a little bit of the in-between and then mostly the combat with um, Ukatoa himself. Uh, where do you guys want to start today? Let's do it chronologically. I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so combat with the Storm Giants, which, you know, we had the awesome like disintegrate that I loved. Um, Yasha getting fallen on. Um, some crazy shenanigans. Um, what jump out jumped out to you guys for things that you want to talk about? 
Um, well, I had a I had a couple. Um, yeah. So it it was definitely um, it was definitely a throwback to see Ashley just fumbling with her character again. <laughs> <laughs> because um she's she seems much more in her skin in campaign three right she's very much inhabiting fern and has that on lock and all through campaign one and campaign two because of her in and out you know not there uh, sometimes there sometimes not there sometimes she really never inhabited her characters that well right and she was always having trouble with what dice do i roll what are my abilities and it was really fun to see her fall fall back into that oh my god i don't know what i'm doing kind of a thing so that was that was a kick will knows that ashley johnson is like one of my all-time favorites but there was definitely an episode in campaign three where she started initiative and it was like 15 minutes where like everyone was like <laughs> So, and not giving her a hard time too, but you just always have that kind of person at the table, you know, I mean, they're, they're amazing. They're great. But you know, there's the person who like, they knew their turn two people before. And then the person where it's like, no, you're, that's yeah. not how that works. So <laughs> definitely. Yeah. But that, that was a lot of fun. Obviously the Caleb disintegrate lightning boots moment was so amazing. Like. Actually, Caleb ha had a ton of cool combat moments. We really got to see him thriving in a way that didn't happen that often during the main campaign. So I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, he was a serious damage dealer in both fights. Mm -hmm. So oh, which yeah. the shape shift, is that similar to wild shape in the sense of you take did, do you take a stat block and that's your stat block now or how exactly does it work? Well, it's a shape changes is ninth level spell, which I was going to bring this up because I was interested like what ninth level spells these people took. And uh, Ken, I think you even brought this up and when we were talking about it in the, our, our previous episode uh, when he was giving his speech on like transformation in episode one and kind of how that was like kind of a through line for his whole arc in the campaign because of what he helped Veth you know from not to veth so i thought this yep. was a very like thematically fitting ninth level spell for him to take um now as far as your question blake i don't exactly know um but since it's a ninth level spell i'm pretty sure like you're getting it's all amazing. the best possible combinations <laughs> of things you know like he was still yeah. able to cast you know his shield while he was that dragon so um, he cast all kinds of spells i was yeah. like this is amazing so I'm sure somebody in the comments can maybe give us the exact details, but I'm not up on my up on my five E yeah. rules enough to know the exact way that that worked. Um, but yeah, I did think that was awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, what a go ahead, Will. I I'm kind of I'm not trying to take us away, but just while we were here, uh, one of the best moments of the episode to me was, of course, Jester's ninth level spell, uh, that mass heal. So. Um, like I'm, I'm sure you kind of understood based on the way the cast was joking with her, but you know she was a cleric and she didn't really do much healing in campaign too. So it's kind of like a fun moment that her ninth level spell was this heal that um, basically so saved clutch. the fight. Honestly, you know, like um, like they were in trouble if that didn't happen. But then at 
once that did happen, it was almost kind of trivial because they were all back up to full and it was like, all right, well. Yeah, that was definitely the moment. We said it in the recap, but that was definitely the moment the stakes like totally fizzled for me where I was like, okay, Ukuto is screwed. Like this is, (laughs) this is over. (laughs) What a cool spell too. thing that I thought was so cool about it actually was the way that Laura did not telegraph what she was up to, right? Yeah. The, the use of her, um, uh, invoke, uh, duplicity. Invoke, invoke duplicity. She used that a ton during the campaign, but never for something like this. And, to, you know, she was always more like a trickster wizard than a cleric of any kind during the campaign. Yeah. So seeing her send her, you know, little minions off to dance in a circle, that's so jester. Right, because what's mm-hmm. that going to do? It's not going to do anything except boom! <laughs> it did something very big, yeah, very very big. Um, and uh, Liam's comment that it was more healing than she had done in the entire campaign was a little bit off base. Um, crit roll stats indicated that she healed over eighteen hundred points of damage during the campaign, but that is a very small number still. Yeah, almost um, a third then. That's or more than a third, I guess. That's yeah. So um yeah, seven hundred is so clutch, so massive. Yeah, that is a big, big, big moment for her. Yeah, and going back to the first combat too, I guess I didn't really grasp how strong the party was. Because um, actually, I didn't know what level they were. I didn't even know they had ninth level spells. It didn't strike me until Jester did the mass heal, where I was like, whoa, these people are <laughs> super leveled. And they also had like little items and things like Bo's um, cape that it let her mm-hmm. dimension door. But, um, you know, when they were fighting the storm giant, I was like, oh, dang, a storm giant. This is crazy. Um, but they totally, you know, just took care of them with relative ease. I felt like, um, that was like the first moment of awareness of this is a pretty tough party or strong party and probably tough to plan encounters for. I would assume, I don't know. They, yeah. uh, they never reached 17 during the campaign. Is that right? Well, I think they ended at about 15 or something like that. So that sounds right. Matt granted them some extra levels for whatever occurred during the interim, right? So they were more powerful than we should have expected them to be given our knowledge. Um, And yeah, you're right. They just, they mopped up that temple fight. It was, even with all the bumbling and nonsense (laughs) that went down, they just, they wrecked house basically. Um, And it's no wonder Matt had to pull some, you know, DM trickery to get the result he needed because they just they cleaned up, right? There, there was no way that was going any other way. Yeah, yeah. and I, I honestly like that, especially for this first fight because these are, you know, these heroes that have already dealt with the the big bad evil, if you will, from the campaign, right? So. Uh, they are badasses, so it's kind of cool to just see them kind of wreck shop like that. Um, and, that's, and that's fun. That's fun for a player sometimes too. Yeah, you know, I was talking sure. to someone. I was sitting down with someone who was a DM, and we were talking about like designing encounters, and he was like, "Yeah, I get kind of discouraged when I design an encounter, and my players just just like absolutely destroy it." And I was like, "Yeah, but like some of those encounters, 
it's like, are you again, it goes back to like the D and D experience. Are your players having a good time? And like, sometimes it just feels good. Oh, that's a storm giant. And we just, you know, knocked it over, disintegrated it and, you know, totally destroyed it. Like that's fun sometimes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it was more than a storm giant. It was like a storm Titan or something. It yeah. was more, it was bigger. Yeah. Sure. So, it was, yeah, like home it was, a bit. Yeah. It was even more dangerous than you might think. I think. The only, so. the only thing I guess a little bit, and Ken, you and I haven't talked about this, but Will and I have talked about this before, um, when we were watching Calamity and, you know, that, that final, I think you saw Calamity, right, oh, Ken? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, in the final and just, and I'll keep it as spoiler free as possible, but there's a final encounter, a final combat round where there is some fluxing of the rules a bit. And Will and I were talking about how people in the Twitch stream were losing it. I mean, losing it. Well, I saw something, and it was kind of like, guys, guys, just just enjoy it for what it is. Real so, cool, man. Real well, was, cool. <laughs> so I was watching this on the Twitch stream for the, the first combat with the Storm Titan, and the same thing was happening where people were like, um, well, Storm Titan's a wisdom, they have a wisdom block of an 18, so actually they would know better than to, and I'm like, <laughs> guys yeah i'm like guys guys <laughs> come on like really like just enjoy it please yeah. but that's what's my random link, comment what's the link to your actual play that has a million subscribers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to be humble about it so yeah that's that's exactly right but anyway uh well i think i interrupted you by the way i think you were saying something um, um I don't know if this is what I was saying or not, but I was just going to say it's, and you touched on this already, but it's just kind of, it's difficult to design encounters for high level parties. Um, and I think that the Ukatoa fight, especially, which we're not there yet, so maybe we'll touch on this more later, but Matt is just, I mean, he's had a lot of practice doing it at this point, but he's just so great at it. Um, you know, cause it, it could either be like, oh, you're going to kill the party or they're going to they're just going to completely yeah, wipe the floor. Yeah, things. some of those high-level spells are insane, you know. So for sure. Yeah. So just you know, nothing new here, but you know, hats off to Matt. Um, it's pretty good so, at what he does. I don't think there's too many more cool moments from the first fight. We could jump to the second fight and then. Um, um there's there's a whole bunch of like other pieces that are not part of the fights that are right. going to be fun to talk about so yeah which we can i'm i'm open to anything we can do any order we want because i do want to talk about zaheer and that whole thing yeah um, that's what i was going to say as well um quick point of interest you mentioned this i was going to say the recap but it wasn't the recap when we first started about the temple how we thought it was the wild mothers but it was Zaheer. i was kind of confused on that so is that what it was or was it also, or could it have been, it was a temple to the wild mother, but like it was corrupted into a temple by Zaheer. Not that this think, makes any difference, but I just, I wasn't sure what the case was. I think Matt was very clear when the runes started popping up that he had uh, religion history people make a check and stated, this is a temple to Zaheer. Right, that there was no wishy-washiness. It was a clear statement. You you now know that this is a temple to Zahir. Okay. So, and yeah, it makes sense were, too with the snake iconography and also the literal, you know, <laughs> hundreds of snakes crawling out. But I guess I guess the wild mother, because um, there were like some sun 
spots or something that were like dangerous or something. I can't remember, mm-hmm. um, like spikes or something. So maybe, maybe, maybe there was like some wild mother influence there or something, but, but yeah, I think well, her, it was pretty deliberate. Well, her statue was outside pointing toward the temple. So I just didn't know if the, it was like, but maybe wild mother temple with the Zaheer secret temple basement, or if it was just always Zaheer, but there's but maybe some wild her statue was, was more of like a warning though. Like mm, yeah. kind of like the, the gods, the deities, the prime deities keeping watch over the betrayer gods. Like, you know, hey, past this point is a super bad place. So yeah, right. For for all we know, there could have been a ring of them around it. You know, they only found one, but True. there might have been multiples as sort some sort of a barrier or a yeah seal or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, that makes sense. Again, not a not that that would affect anything. That was just something I was confused about. I did think it was pretty crazy that they got to talk to a betrayer god. Um, yeah. which I'm, I'm a little unclear on um, the mechanics of chatting, having not seen the previous campaigns, connecting with a deity in the presence of the divine gate. So does the divine gate just block physical, um, like coming to Exandria, and yet you can yeah. still like chat with um, deities like where they are? It's happened Basically. both ways through the campaigns. Like um, in campaign one, they've had communications with prime prime deities, um, but they've also, in some cases, had to travel to them to be able to communicate with them. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they can still like all the deities can still like exert some level of influence through the divine gate. That's how they like grant clerics their powers. It's how warlocks, you know, have their packs and get abilities. Um, so there is some level of of influence that can be exerted, and I guess that's just kind of what's happening here, but just in the form of <laughs> getting counterspelled, which I thought was crazy, and you know, then like literally talking. Um, so that it happening in that way was new. Uh, like there hasn't been like that kind of a, a direct yeah. influence, like not or in the prime material plane at least. Um, and so yeah, that's wh- crazy. What do we know about Zahir? Um, like has, has Zahir come up in the previous campaigns at all? No. Yeah, not no, really. No. Yeah, um, okay. So I mean, we do know some stuff about him, like from some of the source books, and you know, like he was a betrayer god. Um, but as far as like campaign knowledge like that we already like have built earlier no basically yeah, nothing. okay yeah there, there's yeah there was nothing in campaign one where they were doing anything about him or you know even knowing i don't think the names are here came up in campaign one ever yeah okay. I yeah i don't think so either but and was it was the detail that zahir created ukatoa and then ukatoa kind of like you know broke off and did his own thing or so Zaheer's a betrayer god. They got right. you know locked away behind the divine gate. Zaheer created Ukatoa to kind of be like to rule in his stead since he was now gone. Um and and two two other similarly powered yes. god creatures or whatever also were there. Yeah, I don't think Zaheer created, created by... them though. Okay. But they were like this this cadre of three that like made these packs like if if any of us ever escape we'll help the other two escape type of thing um but so here created those other two yes we do i don't know if i remember their names one's like eskarat or something it's like an evil bird and then i think one is like a the crawling king maybe 
I might be confusing things, but that might be a they third were one. they were depicted in some of the artwork. I think at the beginning of the of the one shot, so there was like a three panel wall carving where all three of them were shown. Oh, that's, that's cool. right. Okay, sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just no, yeah, you're fine. Keep uh, going. So Zahir created Ukatoa to kind of like be the man in since he's now being banished. Um, but Ukatoa kind of got too big for his britches and was like, you know, come worship me and forsake all other gods. And so Zahir was like, what now? Like, <laughs> no, no. So Zahir banished Bitch, him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's why he was like locked away. So that's why even though Zahir created Ukatoa, he like hates him because he kind of yeah. tried to take over essentially. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. so... And Speaking of speaking of the Zahir interaction, there were a couple of cool moments. We already mentioned one or two of them. He literally knocked down Ford's magical gate, made that disappear. So counterspell or some sort of, you know, dispel magic from beyond the gate. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, he was able to speak to them directly, which, like Will said, we've not really seen prime or betrayer gods do that directly to characters but we were in a temple to him so that might enhance his power and you know maybe that's the place that that can happen right mm -hmm. um, that makes sense and then obviously the third gigantic thing that happened was the pact and the sword and i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna reference those things separately because they literally did get separated which is very interesting to me yeah, let's dig into that. Yeah. What was your take on that? So my take on it from a above the table perspective is that Matt designs items for specific players. That's just the way it is. And um, when Travis saw that item, he was like, oh, crap, this was intended for Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the above the table explanation. He's like, oh, man, I stepped in and, you know, this was probably supposed to be a Kingsley moment. And so here you go. Right. Like, um, that's my take on it. What do you think, Will? I, I, I mean, I do agree that that weapon was seemingly made for him. But so are you thinking that Matt intended Kingsley to take that pact? Because that I'm not sure about. Um, I I actually, I think that that is, um, I think that's possible. Because, you know, Kingsley is a bit of a blank slate and he's intending to, you know, as his epilogue states, he's intending to take this kind of a hard hook and go world dark toe and be a somewhat negative... <laughs> yeah you know, influence on the world, pirate king and whatnot. What's better than a pirate king with a pact to a betrayer god? I mean, that makes sense. Um, so, I, yeah, I definitely think it's possible. Um, but it did. If I was in Travis's seat at that table, I would think it was for me as well. Because, like, Ukatoa is my character's thing, if you will. And if someone has to make a pact with a betrayer god it's you know not really like i don't want any of my friends to have to do this like we're in this position because of me of course i'll be the one to do it um so not that that means that's what matt intended but i if he did and thought it was like this is you know for kingsley i'm surprised he didn't think that ford might step up in that moment 
which maybe he did, and it was just like you know, we'll see what happens. Um, well, it wasn't, but wasn't there? Didn't Talison like? Wasn't he kind of jumping into the conversation? Like, and, and I don't. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the group is so good at giving space to one another, so I don't think he was steamrolled or anything. But I really like what Ken said. In hindsight, I really see those data points now of Ford like stepping into that moment. Talison has made a comment and then he, you know, gets the stat block and then he turns to Talison uh, to Kingsley and says, Hey, why were you so eager? Kind of inviting him back into the conversation. Hey, why mm-hmm. were you so eager to take the pact? And Kingsley's like, well, why not? You know? And then, <laughs> so I, I really, I resonate with that theory, Ken, way over my head when I was watching it. But now in hindsight, it's like, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, um, Travis's character is like, oops, all gods, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got a pact with how a prime deity, a demigod, <laughs> and a betrayer god. I mean, how many can you really jam into one entity? <laughs> right. Right. I, I did think it was cool that he took, he took the pact and gave away the sword. Um, I didn't really take this, take, I didn't really interpret it this way, but I was reading some comments about it. And there was a Redditor who, and I apologize, I don't remember the person's name, so I can't give credit. Um, the person said, like, hey, I really liked that Ford did that to sort of protect Kingsley from allowing Kingsley to be his own person, which wasn't necessarily the case with Lucian or Molly Mock. Did watch Campaign 2, so I didn't know how true that was, but I thought, that's interesting. Yeah, Ford's, yeah. Ford's character is pretty complicated. Um, and he would often... I don't really know how to say this exactly. He would portray things one way, but really act altruistically a lot. He was, he really tried to play his character like he was lawful good. Um, You know, like the goody paladin, whatever, but he really wasn't. Um, Would would you agree with that? Well, like, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, yeah, I I do agree with that him protecting Kingsley from a pact would be in line with how he had played his character straight through, I think. So, yeah, I think he was kind of, that was kind of one of the arcs of his character, right? Including, you know, him even using a different voice to kind of like emulate what he thought he should be. And then really kind of finding out who he really was. And so I think he kind of had a lot of those moments where like, it's, it's more complicated than like he said one thing and did another, but there was just kind of that, like, you know, multifaceted, Hmm. I don't I don't know if I'm making sense, hmm. but yes, Ken, I do agree with what you're saying. Um it's like a feel, yeah, right? Yeah. He would he would make make claims, but really when the when the rubber hits the road, he was doing it this way, right? So yeah. And um one other thing bef- before we might potentially jump away from this, um what I thought was interesting when he did take the pact, you know, he was given that choice. And I don't have the exact lines in front of me, but it was either like embrace climb, the shadow or or climb the peak, climb the peak. And yeah. he chose climb. And that's when it crumbled and the sword appeared. So my thought was like, if he had chose embrace the shadows, was there have been a different weapon that was like given or like oh. what? Maybe that was just flavor and there wasn't really a mechanical difference between the two choices. But with Matt, I have to think there probably was a difference. So I'm very curious as to what it was. Yeah, there could have been. Um, tonight we're getting a four-sided dive. Tuesday night with Matt 
Matt, Liam, Laura, and Talison, which are all the, well, most of the prime characters to talk about that. So maybe they'll cover that. I hope. Yeah, that would be cool. What um, I, I was so like wanting them to read the stat block on the weapon on the yeah. thing of the spider on the spire king. Yeah, me too. And you know, Travis looks at it and he's like, oh, and then he hands it over to Talos, and I'm like, one of you read it, please. And then I checked <laughs> Twitter, and it didn't get posted either. So. All we got was that really that single moment where Talison whips it out and attacks Ukatoa with it. I think it was a natural twenty, even, um, and it was like a crazy amount of of melee damage. But um, I was really curious what the uh, what Matt had created. So yeah, me too. Um, maybe that's one of those things where he'll post it on Twitter at some point. But like, unless there's another campaign to one shot, you know, I don't know. If- Oh, maybe that'll be in like one of the source books or something. But we yeah, know it was source source book. Yeah, source book is your best bet. Maybe though, it already is. Released. Actually, could be. I don't think it is because I googled it also oh, and couldn't find it. And usually those things will pop up if it's in a source book. Yeah. So, but the next source book, though, I mean, you know, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see something. And the Spire King did that ping anything for you, Ken? Because it it didn't for me. It did. It well it. I mean, it kind of pinged my campaign three stuff from the like the spire ling, yeah. Um, the, the the all the spire stuff from like the Nightmare King time frame, yeah. Of and like, campaign three, yeah. But it made me think of that as well. Nothing, yeah, nothing directly because there wasn't actually a spire king that I'm aware that we've ever interacted with in any way. Yeah, I don't so think we don't have, know. but there must be one. So I'm interested to find out about them. Um, but yeah, Spire definitely evoked like Drusar and uh, a lot of campaign three for me. So I'm curious if that maybe is an entity we will learn about in campaign three, which would be cool. Um, it was interesting that it wasn't a vestige and it was interesting that it wasn't, I mean, I don't think Zaheer is the Spire King. So it was interesting that it didn't have, you know, like something to do with him. Um, Right. I was I was wondering if that might be just another name for for Zahir cuz all be. of the gods have multiple names, right? Like That's true. So I I I don't know. But uh speaking of multiple names, um are are we going to move to second half combat or do we want to keep talking about other stuff? I feel good about that. Yeah. That works for me. Which one? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm good to move on. Sorry. <laughs> you give two okay. options. Yes. Yes. <laughs> cool. Um, awesome moment. Obviously, we already talked about Jester's mass heal and that being like the redemption arc of her <laughs> character. <laughs> because literally, when uh, when. Talison brought Caduceus in. They were like, "Finally, we have a healer." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, is he a cleric? Or uh... mm-hmm. yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, because she did not play her character like a cleric. It was definitely more like she was a rogue trickster wizard or something. It was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was comical how little she clericked. Yeah. Which, you know, that's what made this moment so cool. Um, but yeah, this the second campaign, I wanted to talk about this earlier, but in terms of building the encounter, 
like what a cool boss and uh i think blink and i were actually talking about this recently in campaign three with the um the delilah kind of fight that with the tree kind of involved um i really like had similar kind of thoughts about this one with the cool like fury build-up mechanic and attacking the eyes versus the body and um you know ford kind of inadvertently discovering the cool like ice mechanics interacting with the water um i just thought it was really fun really well thought out and you know not to repeat myself but it's hard to design an encounter for high level players so i you know thought matt did a good job and in matt's defense there were a couple of series of things that happened where the players and i know we talked there's there's a lot of trust there but there were some decisions where the players were really trying to claw back like i think about two things one is caleb uh i can't remember what the attack was but it ended up hitting bow and um there was so much like nuance of like well if i do it this way and then finally liam was like okay i've i've totally like <laughs> stretched this way too far <laughs> bow gets hit and then it goes on to like the next person and there's been like five minutes that goes by and then Bo, Bo and Leah or uh, um, Marisha and Liam were like, oh, well, actually, maybe if, you know, <laughs> and then it was like, oh, wait, no, that wouldn't have worked. So I think of that moment. And then there was another moment. I can't remember what happened, the details of it, but Veth, something happened where like Veth got hit or injured or missed something. And there were like a series of things that happened. And Sam was like, but wait, why would that happen? Like, why? And I was kind of like, you guys are crushing this dude. Like, let's give <laughs> you're crushing Ukuto. Let's give Matt a little bit of space here. But anyway, I, I, I agree with you, with you, Blake on the, like, they were really like angling, right. Yeah. For, for some advantage in various ways. Um, but I disagree that they were crushing him. I, for the vast majority of that fight, I was like, they are going to die. They I didn't feel that out. way. I, I felt, felt like they were like dominating. They were lose. Really? And, oh yeah. Um, and uh, uh, my sprinkle seatmate, we were like chatting about <laughs> it. And when Matt was doing some things, because some things they were angling for, and he was hard line on, and other things he like gave in on, and we were like, yeah, they need that. Like he's, mm. you know, he's giving them this edge because they need it badly. So. I that was how we felt at least the two of us like they were on the ropes. Ukuto well, was whipping them. In your defense, there was a moment where um Laura Bailey makes a comment like we're we're she said something like we're not winning this or like we're screwed or something. Um it never hit me that way, but I I think you feeling that way makes sense considering like I said even Laura was like this well, is bad. I wonder if it's because like Having watched campaign two, Ken and I know that like Jester's not really a healer. Like so when <laughs> Bo had like seven health before that massive heal, and like a lot of them were really rough, and Caduceus isn't there. So we're like, how are they coming back from this? And you know, we didn't even know that she had taken mass heals or ninth level spell, obviously. So like until that happened, like I was nervous too. Like I didn't think it was gonna be a TPK, but like I thought some people might die. Um, I, I I did think probably Bo was gonna die, and I was like, <laughs> I'm okay with it because I didn't know anything about this character, you know. So I was like, Yeah, I'm die. Was that moment from Shrek? Some of you may die, but <laughs> that is a risk I'm willing to take. 
But I guess I guess this the most analogous thing would be in campaign three when they're fighting Atahan and um uh FCG goes down. Like that was I remember Sam's face being like, and I'm down. And it was like, oh, like yeah. this is bad. So I could see that being similar to Caduceus isn't there and yeah, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Yeah, it it was it seemed very dire for the first half of that fight. Um and I I agree the 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 peak moment to get over that cliff was obviously the mass heel. It was 100% it turned the tide. And did you hear but, Laura Laura mentioned that she had to have succeeded on the concentration checks for like was it like two or three in a row that she like just barely got yeah. the role to keep uh invoke duplicity? Yeah. Yeah. It, it it was literally three like nineteen plus rolls to be able to to maintain that. So that was that was pretty rough. The um I won't get into to details here for potential campaign one spoilers, but that moment that culmination of the moment of her like setting up those chess pieces with the duplicity like with and kind of playing it off like she wasn't doing that you know like oh they're just dancing around or whatever it really reminded me of um a moment from the climax of campaign one uh with scanlan and the placement of uh bigby's hand so uh, yeah. which was also a, an awesome move that he did uh, i don't want to go further because again don't want to spoil it but those of you that saw it i'm sure will know what i'm talking about yeah um I think I think it's a sign of a great DM when you there's such little ego that when a player pulls one over you like that that you just you're just like that's awesome because yeah. I I have known DMs in the past where it's so like such a weird personal ego thing that if something like that was to happen there would be like real um, not arguing but like oh well no flip, that's flip the table <laughs> and go. Stuff. so I just think in, in you know we always just like goose so you know we talk so much about how much we love critical role but they play D&D really well and I think Matt does a great job of celebrating with his players because um, you could tell he was excited by that moment too so yeah for and, sure and speaking speaking of celebrating players like um, that was purely what the how do you want to do this mighty nine yeah was about which you know obviously we're doing quite a bit of rule breaking for that sequence to occur the way it did like none of that is possible i mean but it's very very cool for everyone to contribute right so i i really enjoyed that was super fan servicey and player servicey, right? Like you all get in on this. Tell me how yeah. it works. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I, I'm glad. Or I don't know if it was. I think it was. Um, I keep wanting to say uh, Caleb Liam that uh, you know after they get the moment, and I, I don't remember Matt said like you still. I don't remember what the, the hint was that things weren't done. Um, but Liam immediately like get like as his turtle, it was like, boom, let's go down there. Um, I thought that was really like quick thinking on his part, uh, which I don't really have a, a further point than this, but I'm, it's not like, I don't think they would have left and Ukatoa would have, you know, slowly regained his health and, <laughs> and come back and wreak havoc. But, um, I guess just shout out Liam O'Brien for being quick on his toes to get Ford down there and, and to fully deal with it, which 
to to go back to way earlier about like you know demigod didn't really feel the threat i mean if he could fully heal in a matter of rounds like that's obviously going to be a huge issue but obviously we kind of have the deuce ex machina if you will of the pact being able yeah. to seal him away again so here's an interesting question with the cloven crystals back um or just in in a group and then dispersed you know we know critic we know campaign three is taking place you know uh 10 20 years later how long is it i think it's like seven to ten ish yeah something yeah. like ten. Okay. i'm just curious is it too much of a trope to bring that back in as a story point or do you think will the cloven crystals will come up again in some way um, I don't. I doubt it. Yeah, I I don't think they will, but they always have the potential to, right? I don't think that Matt like did it that way because he plans on introducing them in C three necessarily, but just kind of that's like the livingness of the world, I guess. That is not a good way right. to put it, but that's a great well, that's I mean, a great way to put it. Yeah, they continue to be a plot hook for anyone that wants to live in that world. Right? Ooh, yeah. that's a great way to put it for sure. Yeah, um, I love that. I'm very curious what he did with that. His the third orb, the mystery orb. Yeah, I've I've got the list of what he did. So the first one went to the volcano um, on the island that they held Traveler Con on, right? Um, <clears throat> the second one gets sealed in the Cobalt Souls Cobalt Reserve Vault, um, and then Ford. He's not telling where he's putting the third one, but he's not carrying it around with him like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> What's your best guess on where you, where you put it? I don't he's know. He's carrying it around with him like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that one, I totally don't have it. <laughs> wink, wink. No, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. My best guess would be maybe he got Caleb to tuck it in a pocket dimension or something i don't even know if you can do happy that fun ball happy fun ball actually that's a great that would be the that's a great place that's, for it. yeah that's probably my best guess now that you bring that up happy fun ball i uh, wonder and speaking speaking of the happy fun ball and the wizard in the tower um i i wanted to talk about him a little bit because um Somebody I read somewhere was like, why would the guy give him potions? And I was like, thinking to myself, he owes the Mighty Nine his actual existence because yeah. they rescued him from his soul being trapped in Cognosa, right? Like, yeah, he he literally would not exist without <laughs> yeah. the Mighty Nine. <laughs> he owes them a lot more than potions for sure. Exactly. So. Yeah, the the wizard what, Usa Yusa Yusa I think Yusa, um, he was a a pretty big NPC character all through campaign two. Like they okay. went to him for advice. They used his tower for tra teleportation, transportation purposes, all kinds of stuff. Usually without warning him first, <laughs> <laughs> they would nice. just show up. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of a fun dynamic. Um, one uh one quick last thing on the orbs is I was curious, you know, they mentioned putting one on Rumble Cusp. But are they just did they throw it into the volcano? Because like 
who's there like who's there that they trust to to actually like keep guard over that or did they literally like you know hide it somewhere ford intended for it to go into the volcano i think that's specifically what he said Hmm. the volcano where vocado once was or whatever was the, the the line i remember so i think he intended to put it into the volcano itself so you gotta brave the lava to retrieve it i guess I guess that's a pretty good or spot hope, then. Or hope it Mount Dooms it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, what uh what else? Were you were you guys satisfied with the epilogue, by the way? Like the kind of like final moments as for now of what's going on with everybody. And um again, I most of it was over my head. I was like, who's Essex? What's going on? But um it seemed like some sweet moments. Um the final moments of the reunion, what'd y'all think? Yeah. Um, I liked it, you know, of course, everybody kind of got a nice little second epilogue, like we mentioned. Um potential, you know, a couple potential plot hooks maybe setting up for the future. The more mentions of this camp. I can't think that that's not there's not something there. Like maybe not not a campaign to one shot, but I can't I mean, I guess it technically would be, but I could see like a, a wildlings wild out one shot happening or something with as much as like thought yeah. as Sam put into it, especially with <laughs> the classic specific Sam. characters <laughs> mentioned in episode one, like yeah. a kid from here and this, you know, maybe setting up a young Avengers style. Mighty yeah. Man. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but what specifically I really liked um, in the epilogue, because uh, I had, I think I mentioned this in our first episode about how they're like um, more realistic characters because they're not all perfect. They're all still dealing with their same issues type of thing. I liked in this one how Caleb mentioned that he's making it like a thing that once a month they're all going to get together, um, meet in the tower, kind of catch up. Because that was one of the things that was kind of sad about that he was still just like living alone. Obviously, Essek comes by from time to time. Um, but I like that he set that up. And uh, Jester is Banksy now, I guess, which is pretty cool as well. Um. um the in the tower probably doesn't mean very much to you blake but um throughout the campaign they uh occup- when they were traveling they would summon this tower that caleb created for the mighty nine and the first appearance of it was such a beautiful poignant like only liam could possibly pull this thing off moment it was like Forgive me if I'm wrong, but it was something like a 15 or 20 minute monologue where Liam described the care that he put into creating this tower with a floor for each specific character and their own, you know, needs. And it was, it was, it was really something. Um, And it, so the tower was a pretty big, um, a pretty big non-finite point that followed them around the campaign. And it was beautiful and poignant and personal and that's cool. Yeah. A really important my, thing. One of my favorite moments campaign too was the unveiling of that for sure. Yeah. So that was very cool. Um, I also uh, really liked the, the epilogue moments. Um, six months earlier, we had been told that Essex would never go to rest Wrexham Trum because it was far too dangerous for him to go there. He's basically a war criminal. 
um, and uh, wanted in all of the empire that the Mighty Nine lives in. He worked. He worked for the other side of a huge war they were fighting. Um, big NPC, big part of the campaign, but um, Caleb and him kind of started hooking up towards the end of the campaign. And it's interesting to see him using a really bad disguise to go to a place <laughs> that he swore he would never go <laughs> to be with Caleb, which is fun. For sure. That I, uh, cool. And I know Blake, it didn't, I'm assuming you don't really have any deeper thoughts on it since it didn't really <laughs> mean I much to liked, you, but I wanted I to give you the, the chance. Of, oh no. I just like the joke of, Sam saying that, yeah, we only had one camper die. <laughs> yeah. But someone brought him back, so it's okay. But um no, yeah, it was totally all over my head. Like the um the dark toe, like Kingsley going to the dark to to dark toe. I don't know what it yeah. I don't even know what it is. But I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's like the pirate island, the plank king that Jester messaged. He's like the king of Dark Toe. Um, okay. So that that feels like a one shot I would love to see, but I don't know if it would be a campaign to mighty nine one shot. Cause presumably none of the rest of the mighty nine were with Kingsley when he took over dark toe, but it could be fun to like maybe bring in some guest stars or have a couple of the, the main cast play new characters, like new pirates of his crew. Cause I would love to see how he became the plank King. Yeah. I, I also think that um, in a way I, I could be wrong about this, but I suspect that this is the last time we will see Taliesin play Kingsley. I suspect he put him to bed as the, the Plank King, and any future Mighty Nines will see Caduceus again. I Okay, yeah. If there's another Mighty Nine reunion, I really hope we do see Caduceus because I just, you know, I want to catch up with him just like we caught up with all these guys. So I could see that. Yeah. Another thing related to Kingsley uh, that is a bit of a question mark. He had carved out a section of hide for Mukatoa and is planning to fashion something from it. And I wonder if that might not be another plot hook because would that not perhaps create an evil artifact, right? Like in some way or have some influence? Yeah. I didn't think about it in that regard, but I was wondering if he was going to make a new coat, kind of like how, uh, you know, Molly had his iconic coat. Um, he, yeah, and he does mention, um, did my camera freeze, by the way? Yeah, I, I just noticed that. <laughs> I looked I looked at my other monitor to <laughs> look this up. Uh, I know it's mentioned in the epilogue that he um, um, has it fashioned into something nice, as all that said. But um, I'm going to see if I can fix my camera, though. While you're trying that, um, the let's see, there was another sort of big callback um, when they when they got to Nicodronus on their hunt for Ukatoa, they went to the docks and they had a choice of two ships, obviously, right? And the one they chose was the Marquesian ship, the Drensavalis. Um, and or Drensalavis, I guess. And uh, this is a ship and a captain that has made multiple appearances across multiple campaigns. Um, captain Adela actually took Vox Machina 
to the water Ashari city in campaign one. And they had already met her as the mighty nine, although they didn't go on her ship. They, they interacted with her at like a bar in the port there. So this is a recurring character through uh, many years of critical role. She's the true big bad confirmed. <laughs> slow well, trip. Marquisian yeah. ship. Could we see it in campaign three? Maybe. I mean, we might as well go three for three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, luck of the luck of the mother being the title of the ship. And given that that ship was named during campaign one, definitely was not uh, like done specifically for this. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. that's a pretty big coincidence that 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 would be that name for this moment. Right. Yeah. Especially since Matt didn't seem to remember what he had named it or what language he was in. <laughs> <laughs> he had to look it up. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad you brought this up because it reminded me of one thing I wanted to touch on really quick before we uh, wrap things up is that. Uh, Kind of Ukatoa kind of was dealt with before too much could happen. Uh, we obviously got the the imagery of him kind of destroying ships as they were approaching. Uh, but when they first teleported to Nicodronus, I, I don't remember the, ex the exact phrasing, but there was like commotion. Like people knew something was up and like boats were being uh, mobilized to like investigate at least. So right from multiple cities, right? Like the Navy from Port Zoon, from Nicodronus, like they were sending... Uh, and it was uh, people who had visions and meditated right. and stuff were, were like getting this dread sense and these visions with eyes and stuff. So that's right. It was definitely known. So, yeah, to that point, um, I guess, you know, Captain Adela and whoever else on the crew is obviously alive and witness to what happened. But uh, from campaign two, you know, the Mighty Nine are these heroes that, you know, saved everything essentially but no one knows who they are now some people they might start getting a little renowned for this potentially since at least ukatoa was a known threat and now it has been dealt with maybe maybe the general consensus is like yeah we don't know who did it though but it is at least possible that they've kind of got some clout now which is interesting yeah and um they Although they are not a like household name, right? Vox Machina is a, there's a legend. People have statues. They do festivals, whatever, right? Like they are well known. The Mighty Nine do have clout in that they worked directly for multiple like national governments, Right. right and yeah there's like important and the people cobalt soul know. and the you know the cerberus assembly and the bright queen right of it was it it's the bright queen right mm -hmm. that's the yeah. yeah the bright queen the the religious ruler of um zorhas right like all of these huge entities and groups know exactly who they are they just don't they weren't in the newspaper Right. Right. So it's a different kind of clout. Hmm. Were there other things, guys, that y'all wanted to, before we wrap up this episode? Um, no, I think that with that last thing I was just talking about, that was the last main thing I wanted to touch on. 
I think that's I think that's everything I had on my list. There that yeah, it um huh. let's wrap it up. Yeah. So that does it for episode two of the Mighty Nine Reunited. Uh, we want to know what you guys thought about the episode. What were the awesome moments that stood out to you, especially any other breadcrumbs that maybe we missed that were callbacks or throwbacks to the previous campaigns? And having said that, don't forget we're on Twitter at The Pixelist and also on our YouTube and on TikTok. You can check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, and we got to do an awesome thumbnail still, which what do we want to do? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> we'll all be Ukatoa. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Let's do it. Doesn't tra- the movement doesn't translate well to a thumbnail. But <laughs> like, they're, kind of, they're kind of cheering, but not. <laughs> what are they doing? Also, um, Ken, I just thank you again for joining oh, us yeah. for both of I was going to get to that. Don't oh, worry. Yeah, 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 I know, but you know, I just, I'll make it sure. <laughs> Um, for those of you that if I'm sure if you're watching this episode, you probably watched our first one, but just in case you didn't, uh, Ken, if you want to give a quick like plug or shout out or talk about what your channel, um, please feel free, uh, show the people or tell people where they can find you at. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're on YouTube at, uh, at Cy Bella and Cy is PSI Bella B L L A. Um, we are a reaction channel. We do music videos and episodic shows we actually started our channel reacting to the legends of vox machina that was our very first show we reacted to um and we are planning full on to do season two when it comes out in january that's Let's next go. month we're guys. getting close crazy yeah that's i'm excited next month. Which yeah. I, I don't get long-winded, but random detail. It's amazing how many people I talk to who have no idea what D and D is, who've told me they've watched that show and love that show. Really, it's currently sitting at number five on the Rotten Tomatoes list of best shows of 2022. It's impressive. Number five out mm-hmm. of all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Which is huge. It is. Well, for our listeners, we'll put the link to Ken's channel down in the episode description. Make sure you guys check that out, subscribe, and follow his awesome content. Um, so having said that, let's do our Ukatoa thumbnail. Will, are we ready? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Beautiful. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for checking us out. We'll catch you later. That Bye, does it. Bye.